Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. It's been 39 years since the Fairground Speedway hosted a NASCAR race, but a new proposal to rebuild the track would change that. The costs? Millions. Support? That's a mixed bag. Mayor John Cooper is enthusiastic about the proposal, and he's got racing fans in his corner. Opponents have concerns like noise, parking, and pollution. So what about Nashville's racing traditions and the future of the Fairground Speedway? That's coming up later this hour. But first, it's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally add us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the last week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. You know, it's always good to be back in studio, especially when our listeners have a lot to say. You know, that is always good to hear. You know, we did touch on some pretty intense topics over the past week, like Tuesday's episode about policing in light of the killing of Tyree Nichols in Memphis. So during that show, we received a few listener recommendations on how to change police culture and reduce violent confrontations, including one recommendation was teaching officers Aikido. Okay. Uh, On Instagram, Jenny left us a comment saying, quote, put pressure on police unions to improve their standards. It can't be the police are untouchable mentality. If pensions were on the line, these police officers wouldn't be committing crimes against the community. We also received a question from Jacob on Twitter, who asked, quote, did you all just let your guests say that our national leadership supports white supremacy by funding the police? I'm so disappointed that there wasn't at least some sort of rebuttal to that. All right. So to Jacob's feedback, that was in response to a few comments made in the episode. Let's revisit exactly what they said. Here's our guest, Erica Perry, with the Black Nashville Assembly. To transform public safety is going to require political will. And right now that political will isn't there because many of our elected officials are invested in white supremacy. And we see that in how they vote on whether to give more money to housing, whether to really fund education, to make sure support staff have what they need, uh, the, the salaries they need to really be able to live in Nashville. We see that through the decision whether to really significantly invest in community centers or libraries. And so this commitment to white supremacy uh, shows up in the com- in, in how they fund policing and what policies um, they pass to really Uh, reduce the size and scope of police. And earlier in the episode, Michaela McCree with the Police Community Oversight Board called law enforcement, quote, a tool of white supremacy, end quote. So what do we think, Anna? So policing being called a tool of white supremacy isn't exactly a new idea, and there's actually some data to back it up. So in 2006 and 2015, the FBI published reports on the infiltration of white supremacy in police departments. And more recently, in 2020, there was actually a congressional hearing on this topic. 
Of course, we don't want to paint police officers with a broad brush and say that anyone and everyone who works in law enforcement is racist, because that is 100% not true. Mm-hmm. But we know that racial bias does exist within police departments, and it does have a real impact on our communities. And we invited guests with a good grasp of that issue to join us and share their perspective, which, you know, they did. Exactly. That's exactly what we did, and that's exactly what This Is Nashville is all about. We're having people come on to discuss the issues that affect us here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. And dare I say, I think we would invite anybody from the police department to come onto the show mm-hmm. and to talk about that. Now, on to Tennessee's Department of Children's Services. That was the focus of last Thursday's show. And I'm curious what listeners had to say about that one. So we received a very kind response from Jennifer on Twitter, who wrote, At This Is Nashville is out there doing the good work of humanizing the systematic failures of Tennessee DCS. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for at Campbell for Tennessee and at Vote Gloria J for amplifying and addressing this inhumanity. Tennessee deserves better. End quote. Okay, now we'll definitely be keeping an eye on what happens at DCS. The Tennessee legislature is considering a number of ways to reform DCS, including bills to make adoption and fostering easier and one capping the number of cases for DCS social workers. What else we got? You know, we say this every single week, and I'm sure our listeners may be a little bit tired of it, (laughs) but, you know, an hour is just not enough time. No, it never is. We couldn't get to every question during Wednesday's Citizen Nashville episode on eviction, but our guest, Elizabeth Leiserson, with the Legal Aid Society and Julie Eriart of the Nashville Hispanic Bar Association, stuck around to answer a question about eviction court. So the question is from Ashley, who tweeted at us saying, quote, it's confusing that everything happens in hallway conversations. What advice do you have for tenants who are talking to attorneys in the court hallways? Sometimes renters don't even know who they are talking to in these moments. And you know what? That is a really good question. So here's what our guests had to say, starting with Elizabeth. Couple of things that are really important. Number one, the person you're talking to is works for your landlord. They're your landlord's attorney. They're someone who works in that office. That's not the person who is representing you. Number two, if you can reach an agreement with them, great. It's worth, you should absolutely try. That's part of why it's so important to go to court because then once you're in court, you have somebody who's going to actually sit down across from you and say, here's the amount you owe. When can you pay it? Do you want to stay? When could you leave? So all of those questions that maybe you've been trying and trying to get an answer from the property manager or the front office about, you can get answered there. So go to court, go to those conversations, and try to reach an agreement. One thing I always want folks to be careful of is if you sign something and they say, hey, sign here, we'll give you some amount of time to pay, Mm. and you don't have to come back to court again. Ask questions about what you're signing because you might be signing a judgment against you. Mm -hmm. You might be signing an order that says this person agrees they're behind on rent and can be evicted. You might have an agreement with your landlord that, hey, you signed this judgment. They're going to give you a little bit of time. But be really careful about what you sign. And if you get an agreement with your landlord, get the terms in writing so that you know What are you paying? By when? How? Mm. With all of these details written out for you, 
So you are very clear on what the process is. Julie, I see you nodding your head. Anything you want to add? Yeah. Right now we're seeing these uh, landlord attorneys or like agents from their firms having people sign agreements where they're agreeing to give possession or the physical apartment back to the landlord. And that's what it says on the paper. Also take pictures of the papers that you're signing. So you have a copy of that. But then there's like a side agreement that's only oral agreement where the attorney or the representative is saying, sign this, but if you pay in two weeks, Mm. you can stay. But by signing that agreed order of possession, that gives the landlord the ability to have the sheriff come and remove your things 10 days from that day. So unless you have uh, it in writing, it doesn't exist legally. I am so glad that our guests were able to address that because, you know, Myself and probably the average tenant would not know any of that. Not at all. It was great to have them just wealths of information. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to thank you, our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. We will see you soon, Anna. Of course. And our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore more about Nashville's history with racing and learn what racing means to the city. Are you a racing fan? Have you seen a race at the Fairground Speedway? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Weaving in and out of cars at 100 plus miles an hour? Now that's a thrill. And no, I'm not talking about driving on I-40, though we see y'all, we really do. I'm talking about NASCAR. Nashville's Fairground Speedway hasn't hosted a NASCAR race since the 80s. In its heyday, the Speedway was a popular place for fans of car racing. Now there's a proposal on the table that could bring NASCAR back. We'll talk about that proposal, which is backed by Mayor John Cooper in a few minutes. But first, let's learn more about the culture of car racing and what it means to Nashville with our first guest. Norm Parton is a longtime racing fan and the founder of Parton & Associates, a company that organizes corporate entertainment events around racing. Norm, thanks for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. It's a pleasure to be here. Really great to have you. So I understand you've been around racing your entire life. In fact, you grew up just a few blocks from the fairground speedway. Is that right? Block and a half, walking distance. Well, what are some of your earliest memories of the speedway? Uh, well, I, when I was five years old, six years old, it was obvious there was a racetrack there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a regular at Fair Park. They had putt-putt golf. They had Cascade Plunge. Uh, again, walking distance. It's uh, It was kind of the neighborhood hub uh, for the Waverly Belmont uh, Wedgwood area, and uh, I started going to car races uh, when I was five, dragging my parents, uh, who did not necessarily care okay. to go, and uh, to to kind of give you the deal is you know parents go with their kids because the kids want to go. It was obvious they were not really thrilled, so. Uh, our next door neighbor, uh, living on Neal Terrace, uh, 
half block and a half away, mm-hmm. uh, was a police officer, and he was head of security. So my parents figured out that they could take me and drop me off, and Ernest would pick me up uh, at the gate and take me and put me in a seat, and I had to stay there to the conclusion of the races, and then he would bring me home. So you had the fairgrounds as your per- own personal playground, essentially. It, it really was, and I... I uh, you know, there's people that baseball, hockey, soccer, that's their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and talking with my wife last night, talking about this, I wonder, you know, my draw to it was because I was so close. I wonder if I was living somewhere else, if I would have found that. But I became a fan, became a participant with a couple of racing teams. And as my age increased and uh, my little business sense, I turned it into a career. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so I had radio, TV, uh, I did sponsorship programs, uh, traveled to many races. Uh, I've kind of the guy that's been there, done that, uh-huh. I guess you would say. Yeah, so. so racing all the way throughout the entirety of your life. You know, I've read something about the Speedway that yeah. it's the second mm-hmm. oldest continually operating racetrack that is in the correct. country, that's really cool. That's correct. Can, tell us a little bit more about the history of the track. Okay, well, first of all, Milwaukee, uh, the Milwaukee Mile is the oldest. Okay. Uh, 1902. Uh, don't hold me to that perfectly, but okay. it's a 1902, and I think we were 1903, and then Indianapolis 500 was 1909. Mm-hmm. And those three tracks still remain pretty much in their uh, form uh, today, so the fairground started out uh, with a mile dirt track for horses, and this is in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And the rich guys had stables there; their horses stayed there. They were trained there, and they ran the buggies and and horse races and that kind of stuff on a mile dirt track. Well, starting back in the early 1900s, when uh, Automobiles came about. You know, when the second one was made, that's when the first race happened. Uh, So uh, uh, history goes back to horseless carriages racing, and it was during the fair. Uh, And then they would run some special events. And so that went on through 1957. Uh, And uh, an interesting note, everybody knows of Maryland Farms in Brentwood. Uh, the racing people who were promoting races in Nashville made a deal with them. They bought Maryland Farms, mm. built the barns, built the track, and the horse people picked up and went out there, and then it became a uh, racing facility full-time. They cut it to a half-mile paved asphalt track, and uh, that configuration remains today. Now, you've been in this so long. You've yes. seen... Really good drivers, I bet. Oh, yes. Who are some of the notable NASCAR drivers who came up racing at the Speedway? Well, I'm going to tell my age here. Uh, I witnessed Darrell Waltrip's first race at the fairgrounds. He brought a car from Kentucky that could not compete. uh, And he ended up showing so much talent that local people hired him, and he moved from Owensboro to Nashville. Okay. I saw Sterling Marlin run his first race, Bobby Hamilton run his first race, and hundreds of other people, uh, not only drivers, but crew chiefs, officials, uh, track uh, promoters. Uh, At one time, the promoters at Atlanta and Texas Motor Speedways 
came through Nashville first. So not only is it a driver thing, it is people like me that's been in the industry but not behind the wheel. So it's this it's this it's been this place, this fertile ground for NASCAR. Yes. All these years. And you know, I'm thinking like currently up to today, when yeah. people think of like big time sporting events, they're thinking about the Titans. They're thinking yep. about the Predators. And now they're thinking about Nashville right. FC. But racing is up there for some folks, obviously for you and, and people like you. Tell me, what does racing mean to Nashville? Well, economically, it's it's a huge win. Uh, uh, you know, they judge the city by beds uh, rented out. Uh, you know, when a convention comes in, they rank it by how many people got hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. A NASCAR event will probably be 75% people coming from out of town. The other thing that it means is there are sponsor dollars in NASCAR. They're not in football. They're not they're, they're sponsor dollars. Sponsors on those race cars spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's there to entertain their customers at races. Now, if you have a choice around the country right now, one of the hottest cities in the United States to bring people to is Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. No one denies that. Uh, How many of those sponsors are going to put the check in the box by Nashville to come here and be able to stay, uh, what, mile and a half downtown uh, in in five-star hotels and rent banquet rooms and sponsored dinners for customers. So that's a huge win. Plus, the trend in NASCAR is going to short tracks. Uh, Short tracks is where the heat is right now. In fact, there's a two-mile track uh, outside of Los Angeles in Fontana that they're going to tear down and make a half mile because it's more popular. So the trend coming here is really good. And when you match that with one of the hottest cities in the United States, uh, it's a perfect match. All right. So as I mentioned, the track, you know, hasn't hosted a NASCAR race since the 80s. But, you know, there have been races that have been ongoing since then. Yes. What ha- What's the state of the Speedway right now? Well, that's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm partial. I admit it. Uh, and I do want to say right off the bat, I am not paid by Bristol Motor Speedway. Okay. I have uh, now. I'm friends with them. I know them well. Talk to them all the time. Uh, I'm on their team, but I am not a paid spokesperson. Uh, the racetrack has been ignored by the city for 40 years. Uh, there have been problems there that have been noted and not addressed by the city. Uh, a racetrack needs to be safer, uh, and it just like. I forty every so often you have to pave that sucker. Oh yeah, uh, you know there's there's ongoing things there, and there's no true amenities there that makes you happy to say that's my racetrack in Nashville. Uh, we bring I brought people in. Um, in fact, Jasper, who's going to be on us, came to one of the events. I brought him in. We had a little sweet and food and beverage, and the place is run down. And it was a national TV race, and that to me hurts me uh, personally. First of all, I'm a taxpayer. I'm a native of Nashville. Uh, I've lived in this city my entire life, and I take pride in my city more than most people do. Uh, and for that facility to be shoved to the wayside is not fair. And that's kind of why 
if the Bristol thing comes in, they bring it up to current standards that you can sit back and say, that's my city and that's my racetrack, whether you're a fan or not. Well, let's talk about this proposal that's working yeah. its way through the Fair Board Commission that would yeah. give Bristol the green light to build up an updated speedway. Right. Now, I should say we invited a representative of Bristol to be on the show, but they were not available. Right. But Norm, like you said, you've worked closely with them. What are your, some of your thoughts about this proposal? Uh, just as a matter of fact, in my history, uh, I started at Bristol in 1997 or 98. My memory does not allow me to get any closer than that with having tickets that I had for corporate customers to go to a race there. And as my business grew, I ended up getting a suite and then ended up getting two suites and then ended up getting three. Mm. And this is the day and time where every NASCAR race was a sellout. It was, uh, this is pre-COVID when you couldn't get tickets. Uh, I've done business with Bristol since that time. Uh, I know them well. I, I know their integrity. I know their character. I know their dreams, and I know how they operate, which makes me extremely proud that they would come to our city and be wanting to invest here and, and bring something to Nashville that, that obviously would not happen without them. Do you like the proposal? Absolutely. I, I you know, Mayor Cooper, uh, his deal was when he was elected and it was being talked about, he said, as long as you don't hold taxpayers to where they are funding on a regular basis this racetrack, then we, we can work a deal. So they worked literally for two years coming up with all of these finance programs that uh, pretty much ensures that the the city will not only not be in the hole, but will be cash flow positive to the general fund, which is the goal uh, of this. Should be the goal of everything that the city does. You know, we want to be positive cash flow. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about the proposal to renovate Nashville's Fairground Speedway. Share your thoughts by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now, I'd like to bring in my next guest, who lives in the neighborhood near the Speedway. Terry Vo is with the Chestnut Hill Neighborhood Group, and she joins us now. Terry, thanks for being with us. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. So, it's really a pleasure to have you here. You know, how do folks in Chestnut Hill, how do they feel about this proposal? Yeah, I definitely um, feel that we don't believe that the deal is in the best interest of not only our neighborhood, but the entire surrounding areas and neighborhoods that uh, surround the, the fairgrounds. What concerns do you have about the potential rebuild of the Speedway? I have 10. We won't go over all 10. Okay. Um, but, you know, for us, we really want to kind of make sure that the deal is in the best interest of everyone, just like Norm was talking about. You know, we don't want it on the taxpayers. So, for example, you know, are we going to include financial penalties if there are, you know, for, exist, for example, um, you know, curfews that's been exceeded or a lot of issue has been around noise, noise concern. So if that's the case and they do exceed a noise threshold, what will happen, right? And is it just saying, please don't do that again? Or is there really going to be implications, penalties where we are all monitoring and doing what's best by our neighborhood? Um, another thing, you know, we want to see is that we want to see BMS, you know, backing the full amount of the bond debt. You know, seeing that, we would then feel that, yeah, we're all invested. We're all doing what's best. And we're looking out not only financially, but operationally and caring about everyone who is living 
uh, next to um, the Speedway. Now, you know, speaking of next to the Speedway, Geodis Park is right next to the Speedway, and that's the home of Nashville SC. It's a pretty massive project that the city worked on for a while, and it opened last May to the public. What was the process like for you and your neighbors as Geodis Park was getting developed? Definitely. I would say that there was, I mean, there was a community benefits agreement. There's lots of meetings. Um, even before the um, stadium opened, we had a representative come talk about you know, egress and ingress about traffic. We were very concerned, wanting to make sure um, how that was going to be addressed. And we know there, you know, there's issues. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. And I think that's something we can really take and learn about how to make sure we really focus on that with the improvements made to the Speedway. Is there currently a CBA for the Speedway proposal? Not that I am aware of. And that's what I put in (laughs) um, for one of our um, concerns that we would love to have addressed. Norm. Yes. Do you think a CBA would be good to have? That's a community benefits agreement where the developer comes in and agrees to add these things to the community. Do you think that they've would, already done that? They've done that. They've done that. They're already participating. So, uh, and without getting into the whole list, uh, the NASCAR banquet was here uh, last December. And Bristol brought in uh, Daniel Suarez, who is of Mexican descent, and took him to a location full uh, of Hispanic children. They did a full day of video games, him talking. They sent his crew chief to to Glencliff High School, where their um, uh, automotive department and the crew chief went there, and they talked about racing all day long. They br- invited the boys and the girls club. They've adopted them. Uh, so they do this already without having to be told. That makes a huge difference. I, I, I do want to say this. You know, that's nice that they brought Daniel yeah. Suarez, his name, mm-hmm. that they brought him in and introduced him to mm-hmm. young members of the community. But a community benefits agreement is something that really sets up and establishes, hey, we're going to invest in these parks. We're going to invest. That's what they've done. They have the adopted Fall Hamilton School. They have adopted uh, uh, Journey Home. They have adopted uh, the Boys and the Girls Club with an agreement in writing. Without being asked, because that's what they do everywhere they are. And another thing that they do is they have Speedway Children's Charities to where uh, from a grassroots effort, they get five-gallon buckets and walk through the stands and people throw coins in to hosting events, black tie events that's, you know, $500,000 a table type things. And they raise money to give to children's charities. Now, pre-COVID, Bristol Motor Speedway, did just under a million dollars a year giving checks to different schools, all related to children, all related to children. And I would be glad to furnish you with a list of those. Uh, and it, the, they do a neat thing at the, at the Christmas time. They, uh, they bring all the charities in and you're in a car and you line up on the racetrack and you come to the start finish line and have checker flags and the big check, you know, the big check like in victory lane. And they're given hundreds of thousands of dollars to these places Well, I, I, that's, without being made to do it. Again, that sounds really wonderful, but I think the people of Nashville, particularly that neighborhood, would like to see some efforts made towards there. Now, we have a tweet from journalist Nikki Wood at mm-hmm. Nash Mellow. I like that. On Twitter, they write, I can hear it from my house six miles away. I wonder what it's like nearer to the track. Terry, what can you tell us about that? Definitely. 
we were at a public hearing recently and one neighbor was talking about how when the racing is happening, they cannot talk to their family members in the living room together. So that is a huge issue of concern, not only for families, children, you know, for the noise. If someone can hear it six miles away, for someone who's living nearby, they can't even communicate with one another. And I think that's something we should really, you know, really talk about and break break down. What would the neighborhood group like to see change in the proposal? Gosh, so many things. Uh, we definitely want um, it to be something that we're all working on together, right? Um, I think the process in itself um, could have been improved um, because why weren't we there at the beginning um, and bringing in requests and, and what neighbors would like to see and then forming it together so that, you know, now when we're looking at it, we're trying to tweak little, you know, this and that when it could have been stronger from the beginning. And so I think biggest thing we want to see, you know, um, implementation um, of like what what penalties look like if, you know, from sound to curfew is affected. We want to know that the monitoring um, is happening um, all throughout, you know, during the major events and that we're actually seeing the data for that. And we're all aware, right? It's transparent. Uh, and we definitely want, um, you know, we want to know, are there spaces for neighborhood events, nonprofits, community meetings at you know, at the Speedway, when Norm was talking about all these great things, um, you know, n I, n to my awareness, you know, we've never been invited, like as a neighborhood association, to come and experience, you know, a race. And these are the things we're talking about because I think that's critical. And people who live nearby, if, you know, their only experience is that it's interrupting their quality of life. Um, you know, we, we need to understand that as well. Now, I know there's another community meeting coming up soon. What are your hopes for that meeting? Yes, I hope that, um, of course, people will write in, people will attend, and that we can really talk about um, where we can go. You know, if, if this is the proposal that is going to move forward, how, we can, how can we make it the strongest um, and really address and listen um, to the neighborhoods and those who are going to be impacted the greatest? Well, what questions do you have for the city? Goodness. Um, for the city, definitely, you know, when we're negotiating, are we, you know, really reviewing what this impact looks like in 30 years? Um, you know, I think the bond is a huge concern. You know, why is it not fully backed by the person, you know, by BMS if they are going to be the operator? Um, and what are we doing in terms of environmental impact study? Like, we have not done that. What are we doing in terms of a community impact mitigation, you know, like, list. And so adding these things, um, being strong and having one voice as a city is important too. Terry Vo is with the Chestnut Hill Neighborhood Group. Terry, thank you for being with us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Norm Parton will stick with us through the okay. break. When we come back, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the proposal. How do you feel about the proposed renovation of Nashville's Fairground Speedway? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. 
We've been talking this hour about the Fairgrounds Speedway. It's a Nashville institution that has held horse and car races since 1904. The Speedway hasn't seen a NASCAR race since the 80s, but it has hosted local other local and regional races. In 2011, Nashville voters asked for the city to maintain the track. And now there's a proposal backed by Mayor John Cooper to renovate the track and hopefully attract big races like NASCAR. Let's dig a little deeper into that proposal now. My next guests are Jason Bergeron, a former commissioner of the Fairgrounds Board and the current vice chair of the board, Jasper Hendricks. Thank you both for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So, Jasper, let's start with you. Tell us, what is in the proposal? So, what is in the proposal? The proposal is pretty much to renovate an existing city facility. Uh, as you know, the uh, racetrack is owned by Metro government. Uh, it is in much need of uh, repair. Uh, and um, I think, as Norm mentioned uh, in the last segment, um, I did have the opportunity. I've gone to, the, to a few events over there, and especially hosting a televised event, it was pretty embarrassing for the city to have a uh, a nationally televised race uh, with millions of viewers, but your school board doesn't work. Mm. Uh, and the facilities that are not uh, adequate is not ADA compliant uh, and so on and so forth. So we can continue to to name, you know, the many problems that uh, that is with the, the existing facility. And so what this proposal does is to um, allow the city to work with a private entity uh, to renovate this uh, this facility. Uh, and in exchange, this uh, private entity will then uh, will pay rent uh, starting at a million dollars a year and is going to go up over the course of 30 years along with uh, sponsorship dollars uh, for this entity. And then also uh, there's an amendment to allow um, uh, the Visitors and Convention Bureau to uh, rent uh, the facility for for 20 days a year, providing rent also uh, to help uh, cover the cost of the facility. All right, so it's clear that this racetrack is not fit to host an event like NASCAR. What would some of the renovations in the proposal, what do they entail? So it will be to, uh, to uh, build a 30,000-seat grandstand along with banquet facilities, community space that uh, that the last guest, Terry, had mentioned um, was needed uh, or could be used. So there will be community space uh, there uh, as well. Uh, and then also improvements to the restroom facilities and, and also making it ADA compliant. Uh, right now, a person with a disability, uh, and especially a person with a wheelchair, cannot attend uh, cannot attend races. How much would all of this cost? Uh, we're waiting on the final numbers uh, now. We're going through that process. Uh, we do have a, uh, a work session tonight um, in which we will probably hear some of the initial estimates, but we're looking at somewhere around $100 million. Okay, so $100 million potentially. Who's covering these costs? So the uh, city will the the idea of the proposal is that the city will uh, issue uh, bonds uh, through the uh, Metro Sports Authority and the payment of those bonds will be covered by the amount of uh, of rent that the that Bristol Motor Speedway, along with uh, the uh, uh, National uh, Visitors and Convention Bureau uh, will be bring it to the table, along with sponsorship dollars. All right, now, Jason, I see you want to respond, but let me ask you this first. Yeah. I'll give you a chance to respond. 
you know, you were with, used to be on the Fairgrounds Board Commission. Tell us when, I need a sense of a timeline here. When did Bristol first come to the table with these plans to renovate? Well, Bristol actually came to the table back in, uh, to be involved back as far back as like 2016, 2017, when there was a previous RFP to exp- extend the Speedway promoter, pr- promoter contract. And they they, didn't, they weren't successful in, in large part um, at that time because they wanted to do so much more activity. And I'd love to talk about what this new proposal is, because it's a lot more of that. So then they really started to come back around in 2018, 2019 with the idea that became this current proposal. And I started meeting with Bristol as a representative of the Fair Board in the summer of 2019. Um, now, uh, I, I will say that previous administrations, the Barry administration, the Briley administration, I've, I've Briley administration officials have told me that you know they did not want to move forward with this. So that really changed once Mayor Cooper was moved into office and he he had a different opinion of moving ahead with this because the prior administrations didn't want to. All right. So what are your thoughts on this current proposal? Right. So I think we have to be clear first, this is not just a quaint renovation. Uh, this, you know, I, I, I am so impressed by Mr. Parton's fondness for the past and, and the halcyon days of racing a long ago and that experience. This experience is going to be very different than his fond childhood memories. Um, this is a complete teardown of the existing facility. Bristol wants to call it a renovation to make it seem a little more quaint. I mean, they're tearing the whole thing down and rebuilding it. Okay. But it is. It's a brand new thing on the same site. So it's not really a historic revitalization. Um, so it, it is a, it is, you know, a, a facility that will go from Right now, we have two things that is status quo. Uh, ten race weekends, uh, which have curfews and controls for local racing. And we have these things called track rentals, 25 of them a year for four hours a day, where racing teams get to test their cars. That was a really controversial thing. A few years ago, it used to be 80, 100 days a year without limits, and they wouldn't pay for that, which I think is wild. And when I started negotiating those contracts for the fair board, we put in some limits, and we were in a really good place right now. I think we're in a really good place with the status quo. But what this facility will bring is one or two bigger races. And there's nothing that stops Bristol from doing more races. This will bring 20 convention and visitors bureau events. The commissioner and visitors bureau won't even say what those are. Somewhere in the mix, there's several concerts. There's corporate events. There are maybe other uses with loud cars, like driving experiences, racing schools, things Bristol's parent company does at other tracks. And right now, this contract has a lot of loopholes that would allow unlimited unlimited uses for those. Uh, that needs to be fixed. So what this is is not necessarily more the status quo, at least not right now. We could we can improve this deal, um, maybe to make it not as impactful, but there's a lot more to this. And in a lot of ways, what this is, is, and Norm just talked about it, 75% of people coming from out of town for NASCAR races. This is you know very much a downtown tourism type of ent- facility being put into the neighborhoods. And without limits and without major fixes to this deal, the question is, is where are we as a city, right? Like, is the whole city just to be handed over for the next tourism play? Or, or does there need to be some balance in context of, well, this thing is in neighborhoods. This isn't downtown. Jasper, you want to respond? Uh, yes. Yeah. So in the proposal, there are only 10 races and there is a cap to 20 race day, 20, uh, 20 um um, track practice days, yeah. track run days. So that is already in there. There are some amendments that we are 
uh, that some of the commissioners and especially myself um, are preparing to do once we go through this process. Now, one thing that Mr. Bergeron has to understand is that he is no longer on the on the fair board, so he's not privy to some of the things, some of the conversations that we are having with uh, Metro Legal to see what we are capable of doing. Um, and so we do hear the concerns of the of the community folks. And then uh, if you watch back over some of my questions um, of fair board meetings, I've been asking uh, the the um, visitors bureau like what are those uh, types of events? Um, they will have the same um, they will have the same uh, restrictions and the same curfews uh, that currently exist. So there will not be any events after a certain period of time. There will not be a level of sound. Also with Sound Forge Racing, part of that uh, part of the proposal is the requirement of a sound wall that is made with certain specifications, so that the goal is to reduce the current level of sound to 50%, 50% or less. Uh, so we are working to uh, make the improvements. And also NASCAR is looking at various different ways. They are, they are testing mufflers for NASCAR, um, their new generation uh, vehicles. I've had conversations with NASCAR folks about that. Uh, also electric vehicles. By the time this track is done, NASCAR already has a mandate where they're looking at their most of their vehicles being electric by 2025. We're looking at a 2026 completion date, you know, for this racetrack. So the level of noise, uh, uh, you know, is there. But also, you know, I don't think that these same considerations were made when we when when the soccer stadium uh, was uh, was being debated by the the former board uh, is because now instead of in, in in addition to soccer, there are there are concerts that are being that that are being scheduled. You have Shania Twain and Pink that are coming to Geodis Park, you know, this year, you know, so, you know, so, but we are at a place as the current board trying to make sure that those considerations are being made, mm. um, you know, so that way we can uh, avoid some of the problems. I don't think that the previous board did enough to make sure that there was adequate parking or transportation plan for Geodis Park. And to say that, you know, now Bristol Motors is coming in and they have to be responsible for all of these things is not 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 100 percent, you know, fair uh, to, to them as well. But it's going to take all three entities, the fair board, the Nashville Soccer Club and Bristol Motors to sit down at the table to figure out fixes to all of these problems. All right. Thank you for that. I didn't know Pink was coming to town. I'm down to see her. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour about the proposal to renovate the Fairground Speedway with Jason Bergeron, Jasper Hendricks, and Norm Parton. Tweet us your thoughts at This Is Nashville. Longtime racing fan Norm Parton is still with us. Norm, what is your response to these? Well, I have several. Uh, We we went through the thing. Uh, Can't talk in your living room. Uh, When I was general manager of the racetrack in 2004 to 2006, we did not have mufflers. And there was neighbors that would complain and so forth. So Every Saturday night during the late model race, which is the loudest, uh, I would be on a golf cart going through the neighborhood, and I would stop and talk to people, and I went in living rooms. I talked to people that lived there 10 years. I talked to people that have been there since birth. Not a single one could show me that in their living room they could not talk. There is a homeowner on Byron Avenue that I spoke with last Sunday 
that says, yeah, when they're racing outside, it's very difficult. He is within yards of the racetrack, plus up on a hill in a new house. He says, I watch TV all the time. And yeah, I can hear it, but it's I can talk and have TV on in my house, and he's in the line of sight. So I challenge anyone to put me in their living room and say we can't talk while there's races going on. Now that there's mufflers, it's, it, it took me, I challenge that theory 100%. We, we can't fat check what you're saying right now, but yeah. so, so let, let's move on. Jason, you know, like what changes yeah. would you like to see in the proposal? I mean, you've lived in the area for 20 years. What changes would you and some of your community members so, like to see? Big thing is accountability. Uh, and Terry talked about some things, right? First and foremost, Bristol needs to backstop the full debt for this facility. Otherwise, all the promises they make will not will not count for anything. At Nashville SC had to guarantee the full debt. It should be fair. Um, and, and they and, got ten okay. free acres. That, that has nothing to. Oh yes, it does. Okay. You give me ten free acres, I will back the bonds. I, I understand right. how passionate you are, yeah. Norm. Okay, let's give Jason a chance yeah. to respond. Yeah, please. So. The, the, the mixed-use development has nothing to do with it. The fact of the matter is the user should backstop the full debt of the facility they claim their, their events will pay for. Um, accountability for curfews, uh, noise, um, and, and penalties for those if they don't comply. Accountability to the fairgrounds, to the neighborhoods, to the affordable housing units that will be there. Um, um, and a couple things on noise and about accountability. Um, and that, that I'll focus on those. Um, you know, one... Uh, Mr. Pardon made some comments, uh, and, and unfortunately, I think there are some folks who, who uh, it's hard to take seriously Bristol's promises all the time when the contract doesn't have real limits, real controls, and real accountability. And it starts with their leader, their owner, Marcus Smith of SMI. Um, last year, when at a time when they were making a lot of promises about being a good neighbor, one evening after a hearing, um, there was a really awful tweet on, and I have a copy of it here, uh, I can't show it on radio, um, that a person made saying they hope that the noise is so loud when NASCAR comes back that one of the concerned community members they had a photo of cried out in agony and her dog got sick on the floor. Um, I think that's awful. And I think that's a bad message to send from the leader. And he, he retweeted that to his 10,000 followers. So I think Bristol has a long way to go to show that they're willing to be accountable and they get the concerns. But to Norm's other comment about monitoring, that's the whole point. Let's monitor it and, and, and make them accountable. You know, we have people who are going to be living in affordable housing units. That was a big part of the real community benefits agreement Nashville SC signed. And uh, when I met with the mayor last fall and told him, sir, the, there can't be such an increase of events, all these uses I've talked about, you know, all the extra concerts, convention, convention events, all that, there can't be such an outsized impact that the affordable housing fails on the site. And Mayor Cooper told me, well, we should have never built those units, um, so it doesn't matter what happens to them. That, that's a problem from the design of this, this proposal. It can be fixed with accountability and real engagement real community benefits being provided by Bristol. Um, they just have to engage. It, it is fixable, and I've been glad to hear Commissioner Hendricks has, has done some work so far on that. He said a lot of good things, but we haven't seen that on paper yet, and we really need to. Now, Jasper, you know, there's been a lot of public hearing that you've been at. What have you been hearing from people the, in the community? The uh, major thing is noise. You know, that's been the concern, but then some of those concerns about noise, there was one person stood up and said that, 
oh, well, her teacher friend said it's hard to teach when there's a race going on. Well, there are no races that goes on. So it's hard to it's hard to believe certain some people when they're in opposition to it because they've been given a lot of um, not truths, you know, about this. And so and one of those things is there is a community benefits. There has been a community benefits commitment. Uh, and and I only know about that because when the mayor first asked me to be on this committee, the first thing I did was Google to figure out what is going on over there. And I found a community benefits commitment that was presented in December of 2021. Um, you know, so over a year ago now, and that includes things like 15, that Bristol Motor Speedway is uh, committing to pay people at least $15 and 50 cents an hour, you know, um, along with the relationships with boys and girls club that Norm spoke about, but also the commitment with um, schools. Now, is it, does it, does it go far enough? No, to me, it doesn't. However, Tennessee law says that we cannot enter into community benefits, any type of community benefits agreement. It has to be two private entities. And I think the real re the real problem that some people have about this community benefits agreement is because it's not the same certain players at the table mm. um, that are being that are part of this discussion is that Bristol Motor Speedway decided to work with other people. And so they're like the North Nashville Consortium of um, of community development corporations uh, who are five about five churches in North Nashville area that works on, you know, certain issues when it comes to affordable housing and um, in uh, diversity, equity and inclusion and making sure that that there are certain measures that are being made and not some other people who are. I understand there's another another public hearing meeting coming up, right? Yeah. So we have a work session tonight um, and then we have a public hearing. We have our regular fair board meeting on next Tuesday. Uh, then we have a, a public hearing on uh, February 20th. Uh, and then we have another work session on February 23rd. All of those events, all of those meetings are open to the public. Uh, they are recorded um, and, and broadcasted on uh, Metro television uh, and are placed on YouTube. Uh, and people um, other than the work session themselves, uh, people have opportunities to come in and 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 provide public comment. So for our regular scheduled meetings, you know, there are two minute comment periods for our uh, public hearing. You know, there's two hours pretty much of when people can can express themselves. Now, you know, hearing everybody's position and understanding this, would it be fair to say that the Speedway the board commission, the city, Bristol Motor Speedway has not done a good job in communicating what the plan is and what the intentions are for the community. Are we, can we agree in saying that? Yes. No. Yes. No. One yes, one no, one impartial. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there. We'll know we'll be revisiting this topic. I want to thank you so much for being on the show and getting us under the hood of this. Jasper Hendricks is the vice chair of the Fairgrounds Commissioners Board. He was joined by Norm Parton of Parton & Associates and Jason Bergeron of the Neighborhood Impact Advisory Committee. Thank you all for being here today. Really appreciate it. And we want to thank you for listening and tuning in this hour. Tomorrow, our city is famous for its hot chicken, but... But what about hot sauce? Woo! 
Get your glasses of milk ready. We're diving in. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Laurent and Amir Blade. Special thanks to Shay Sapp. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.